Welcome back to another case study episode where we review one of our athletes and break down exactly what we did with them to get an improvement, PB, or a great race result. And a reminder of our unwritten rule for athletes, if you enjoy our podcast and find them helpful, the best thing you can do for us is share the podcast on your social media or to an endurance friend that you think might also like it. Today's case study is Tyler from Arizona in the United States. We're always trying to bring a variety of examples to show you of athletes, and this case study is what you can achieve in a short space of time, as Tyler has been on the program only for about four to five months now. He came to us as a very fit young athlete, married with two kids, and he had great top-end speed. His first 5K time trial with us was 18.40, well in the top range of, of athletes. That's 3 minute 40K pace per kilometre. But as you'll find out, we've been able to even smash that time. And often there's a myth that it's easier for beginners to find massive improvement. Well, this case study is shows it's not just beginners that can find massive improvements on a new program. Uh, top-end athletes can as well with the right structure. So, Dad, introduce Tyler a little bit and where he's come from. Yeah, it's a great story and uh, great a great guy to coach and I love his determination, his passion for what he wants to do. He had a really average result um, in the middle of 2023 in June, I think it was, at the big island of Kona. Uh, he did a 70.3 there and you know, his expectation that he was a really quite a good runner going through his uh, school and, and college days. And his expectation was that, you know, he could swim, ride and run reasonably well. And he had an absolute, um, really disappointing day. And I think that was the catalyst for him to reach out and not repeat that again. And um, I, I absolutely know that uh, he reached out and wanted to really learn everything he could about in improving that result. And, and when he, he did reach out, the next race wasn't that far away. It was only six weeks or seven weeks away. So we only had limited time. And, and you know, I sort of pointed out to him that, you know, there's not a great deal we can do. And uh, I think he thought the opposite. He was sort of saying, well, I think there is because I couldn't go any worse. And, <laughs> um, and definitely when we started working together, there was a lot that we could do uh, in, his, in his cycling for sure. And uh, just understanding how to ride a power meter and, and the, just start from the, big, the basics, the beginning of how to ride properly. And if you can do a half Ironman, you think you can ride a bike and that's probably true, you can. But there's riding a bike in a half Ironman, there's racing a bike. And, mm -hmm. and he went from, I think he averaged 31 k's an hour uh, for that 90 k. And by the time he did uh, his race in uh, Texas, it was something like, 35 and a half k's an hour so mm -hmm. it was a massive improvement uh that alone but you know i know that he ran something like 139 we can talk about this later but this is this is the time where you know you, you're kind of asking why we're we bringing this one up because he ran a 139 uh, half ironman at that race and for someone who can run under 18 minutes that's really a, a really poor outcome and it can be many factors that cause that uh, the heat of the day, uh, the hilly course that he was on, uh, you know, remember he's at the Big Island in Kona um, and it is a tough place to race and, you know, the heat and the nutrition and, and your fitness can be found out big time there for anybody who knows who's raced there uh, and uh, just understanding how to ride the power and obviously his run was affected by the bikes, the bike at that race and, mm -hmm. And uh, I think he was a bit shocked that he couldn't run any better and he really had a bad day running. Um, so I think, I think that was kind of his catalyst to, to and when he told me uh, what, his, what his results were and what his PB times were for 5 and 10K, oh, it d didn't make sense. And, yeah. and so, you know, 
turn the clock forward, he he, he rode four or five k's an hour faster and and ran uh, nine minutes quicker than he did in Kona uh, for a guy who's at, at a good level. And, and you know that you can't. That, I think that was a ten minute, a twenty minute faster ride, mm. and a ten or nine or ten minute faster run. So he actually improved thirty minutes from June to uh, to that race in. Uh, what date was that, George? October, yeah, was it? 22nd of October. Yeah. Yeah. And really just after six or seven weeks of a structured program, we're going to break that down now and let's really clarify those results, the timing and the numbers, and then kind of break break down what that means. Because there's the numbers, there's the data, and then what the actual data means. And one thing we want to point out here is, again, this is a great um, uh, improvement of execution and learning how to race, like you said before. And the run numbers improve massively. The bike Power numbers haven't improved crazy amounts, but the bike time has. So it's just another example of that as well, which is awesome. And again, we're going to point out all the factors why that could be. Um, it's not always just down to getting fitter. As we said, it was a short amount of time. It's, it's a lot of other nuances around it. So just before we go into the, the results and the kind of the training that got those results, what would you expect for someone that can run? His first time trial with us was 1840, but that wasn't his PB necessarily. He actually had run 1745, I think, sometime in the, in the previous year before that. So someone that can run sub 18 minutes for 5K fresh, what do you think they could run in a half, a half marathon? Yeah, well, if, even if you ran it out to 20 minutes, um, you know, you're pretty much going to double that. So for a 10K, you're going to double that and add, you know, another 10 minutes. So then you double that and add another 10 to, to 20 minutes, as we've shown many times in our other podcasts. So 20 minutes becomes 40. And if you go at the worst extreme, that becomes a 50 minute. But he's definitely a 40 minute 10K runner. Uh, or under, which we know uh, from what he's been doing in the last four or five months, he can run 10k at 38 minutes. So, so even if we rounded it out again to 40 and doubled that, it's 80 minutes, and then added 10, that's 90 plus. You would add 14 to 19, depending on your ability. So, a 134 to one, you know, 36, something like that is is probably the the worst end of the range, and a 130 is about about his range so yeah so he, he would have been disappointed with a 139 for sure yeah. and that's the generic equation you've just given as well but when you hear his history because it depends on your training history who you are as an athlete when you hear, hear his training history you know 1745 is very different to 20 minutes you know you've rounded out there as a generic equation but when yeah. you look at the top yeah. runner he is you look at um uh yeah his training ability to run 1745 indicates that uh, it should even he should be at the top end of that equation at the half marathon he should be at you know 125 ish so yeah, definitely under one twenty-five in an in a half in a half uh, Ironman half marathon race. He should be under one twenty-five, and yep. and that's where our goal is, and you know that's yep. what we're working so hard to get to him for for the, this year coming. Yeah, it's a great point. But it's just as, you, as a coach, you said before, you know something didn't add up. You go, well, he's under one thirty-nine. That doesn't you know indicate, and and maybe you're just better at five k and you haven't trained as well for for the half marathon distances. But that's the gap you're trying to bridge. So let's break through it. So the first key result is you know that first five um, k TT he did with us was eighteen forty. Like we just clarified, he, that wasn't necessarily his PB, but that's the form he came to us with. And just last week he did a sixteen oh seven fresh five k. So that is um, that's three thirteen pace, I think. Um, 313, 314 for 5K, that is a whopping improvement. And you look at someone, and if they do 1840 and they ask you, how much do you think I can improve in, in a year's time? Not even just three, four, five months, but a year's time. You, again, it depends on how if they're maxed out at training, they're not going to see much improvement. If they've got room for more structured training, you'd realistically say, I think you could break 18 minutes. I think you'd get to 1730, maybe even low 17s. But to get to 1607, it's pretty solid. 
Yeah, I think you've been a bit generous there. If someone <laughs> comes to you and their form is, you know, is 1850, 1840, anything under 19 minutes, uh, you wouldn't expect to improve a minute in, in a short space of time. <laughs> yes, you would expect yeah. to improve 10, 15, 20, 30 seconds maybe. Um, but to improve a minute 30 from that very first starting point, and to be, to be clear, one was a race. The 1607 5K was a race. And the the 1840 was us getting him to establish his pacing. So, time trial. so, so it's an individual time trial with no competitors around you. So, so there is a factor of the competition is going to push you more for sure. And, and you know, um, I'm pointing this out so we're giving a really good perspective and we're comparing apples with apples. So both of them yep. weren't races, um, but despite the fact that's that's as good as you could do on that day, and yep. and then you know it just shows you know. Uh, in a race situation, he had to actually race the race and still execute. So, you know, he's learned a lot about that. And, and you know, normally he would say that he would fade at the end, but he was in a pack and uh, it was actually a, a return. It was a great a great event because it was a return to his high school. And, and there were some young guns there who were talking up the trash talk at uh, before the race started. And, uh, you know, he quietly said to himself, I'm, I'm really going to try and show these guys what, what racing's all about. And they were all together and he ran away from them at the end with a, you know, a blistering three, three Oh four or something last K or some, mm. some ridiculous yeah. time, which, uh, which he was very satisfied with and uh, ended up taking home the trophy. Yeah. And the, one of the coolest parts about this is you just mentioned to me, you know, really want to point out the fact that, you haven't really done any speed work. You know, this is this is really fast running for not much speed work in in, the, in terms of the intervals. Yeah, and a lot of people keep questioning why we do that, and I, I, we've said the answer many times. You're getting your intensity from a lot of the bike sessions. You're getting you. Where, when do you think you're huffing and puffing? When are you really out of breath on the bike and in the pool? You you know you could be doing ten sets of twenty five, and at the end of each swim, you know. 25 meter swim you are gasping at the end of that uh, trying to recover to go again for the next 25 so the cardiac um, uh, improvement is there from the bike and the swim and as long as you've got good legs good skeletal system and, and your muscles are really adapted at running you don't have to do you know eight by four hundreds on the track to to get an improvement in running and we've proved it i don't know how many times this has been proven for <laughs> yeah. for us and yeah. and and Especially uh, the other thing we push is the strength running from the hills. And and absolutely, he's done that really well. Um, and he's a, a lot stronger runner. So why is that important? Well, you can hold the form that or the pace that you're trying to achieve at back end when it counts, when the pressure's on. You know, everybody's great when the first few K, when you're fresh. But can you hold that pace? And that's where the strength and the endurance comes um, to the forefront so that you can actually hold the pace you want to from start to finish. And once again, he's not training to be a good 5K runner. He wants to be a good triathlete and a good half Ironman racer. And so what does that actually mean? Well, you know, there was seven weeks or so to prepare for the next half Ironman race. What could he learn in that? And what were the results, you know, from June, that Hawaii half Ironman to October? Um, the next half Ironman, he ended up biking 20 minutes quicker, so a 250 down to a 230. And then his run improved as well from a 140 to a 131 or 130. 32 seconds or something so a nine and a half minute improvement so look you know we we you always do your two gilinets when you see these big numbers and go well come on what other factors were there were the conditions way more favorable was the course way harder we know that kona is um got more undulations but the undulations weren't 
they're a difference, but not significant difference. You know, I think it was 700 meters to 400 meters difference in elevation. So enough um, to warrant some factor, but not so much that it would result in a 20 minute improvement just from the course alone. So when you see half an hour improvement over the race, you go, well, that's, you've learned something here. Yeah. And, you know, we, we always talk about um, the total time and the distances could be one factor, but they were very similar. 90 K, you know, sometimes as we've had the extreme at, uh, you know, in the goal, uh, in the sunny Sun coast, coast in Queensland, yeah. where it was 85k uh, yeah. instead of a 90k time trial. That's doing bike ma- PBs. Yeah, that's a massive difference. Um, so this wasn't bike the case. Bike PBs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is certainly not the case. So we're trying to always look for things that are going to be significant differences when we're trying to compare apples with apples. So uh, we don't always want to. We don't want to brush over anything. We want to make mm-hmm. sure that everybody's clear when we do these case studies that that the facts are. Uh, as as close to the truth as we can get, so that so that we're not inf- inflating any of the results. Um, yeah. uh, just for our own purpose here, we're, we're trying yeah. to get people to understand that with certain things that you can do in training, you can get improvement. And one of the key things was obviously riding the speed that he was uh, back then to what he did in the in the Arizona race was was you know phenomenal, four plus kilometers an hour faster than he did there and. And he, if I asked him, what do you think the difference was between that preparation and what you did in Arizona? And he would say, those race ready sessions you got me to do, I couldn't do them at the start. I couldn't ride in the ranges. I was above them. I was below them. And gradually over that five or six week period, I got better at it. And all of a sudden, it was like a, a switch had flicked and I could then put the pressure on properly. Um, I was able to stay really much closer to the ranges. I wasn't gassing myself by riding way above the power just because I thought I would go faster that way. And therefore, you know, when you don't gas yourself, you're not riding slow when you're trying to recover because uh, it's got undulations in it. So every time you go to an un- under undulation, the mindset of most triathletes is to go hard, you know, on that on that hill. Well, if you go too hard, then you're going to have to soft pedal at some pay, uh, stage later to recover. And so that's why the bike slows down. Um, so this is an example of someone really learning that concept Um incredibly well in such a short space of time because i was hammering him with this you know you're still not getting it you, you won't improve your speed unless you can stay in these zones and, and i want you to really concentrate as much as you can and and you know a couple of times you just did a section where it was outward bound and i'd say no we need to go out and back so you're experiencing crosswind and tailwind and headwind mm-hmm. and and the undulations so so get used to the conditions and and then we can see what your average speed is against this power and and oh, all of a sudden he's on board with all this information and it's like it's like someone's opened the key to the safe for someone to go why didn't someone tell me about this before and now he's he's just saying oh i can't wait to do any more training i can't wait to do the next saturday's training because i now i think i'm i'm getting it and i want to see what power it gives me this this average yeah. speed yeah. and so he was on board with well if i do this power i yeah. can get another half a kilometer an hour uh, faster on the bike and and then he started thinking about his bike position and getting his head down and and getting his shoulders narrower and his elbows in and and you know does it affect my breathing and and you know of course we were doing runs off the bike um, and was that you know was it riding harder affecting the way he ran and found out after a few training sessions that no it wasn't affecting him that much so he could ride a little bit harder because the concept is that you don't over bike so that you can run properly but if you're fit enough and you ride the bike properly the way we're explaining, you can run really well because you haven't spiked your power and that burns matches, which is, you know, Mm. 
inflates your heart rate, uh, builds lactate, burns nutrition quicker, and therefore you run slower. Mm-hmm. It's it, as you always say. It's never one thing. If you look at that first race result, it was probably a mix of ingredients that you throw into the melting pot about, you know, not understanding how to ride properly, not knowing how to st- stay in the ranges, not practicing staying in the ranges. That resulted in a two-hour, fifty, ninety-k um, bike leg. And then not only that, but running slower was a result of the same sort of things. But when you've gassed yourself on the bike and you haven't ridden the bike properly, you're giving yourself way less of a chance to run to your capability, which is why he ends up in a 140, which we know physiologically is is not where he should be based on his 5K and 10K ability. So once you fix that and you learn how to ride, not only does it improve the bike leg and you get a 20-minute PB on the bike leg, uh, he was then able to run 131 off the bike. And that is for the same reasons, for all these all these ingredients that you throw into the melting pot that create that improvement, you would think, George, wouldn't you, that if you ran if you rode two hours fifty, that's an easier ride than two hours thirty. Mm. Logically, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, riding two hours thirty is a way harder ride. But he rode it as easy as a, he rode the two hour fifty. So the effort, the effort, the feel of you know that perceived exertion was just as hard as 250 two hours 50 and and the difference was he wasn't gassing himself um like in that two hour 50 ride he had massive you know efforts all the way through that ride um and that there that caused recovery and whereas in the two hour 30 ride he didn't he didn't go into the red zone at all he he stayed in the ranges and and you know don't underestimate how influential that is for your run yeah yeah, and yeah, I, the, you can just um, summarize it all by, you know, these improved results come from that overall guidance, that that practicing ex- execution, um, doing those race-ready training sessions, which you couldn't do at first, and then, you know, after a short amount of time, got really used to them, sticking to a structured program, of course, learning how to race, learning the mentality of racing, having a race plan based on data. You just cannot underestimate all these things, and when you put them all together, how much of an improvement that that can make, not just the physiological improvement, because as we've shown, and we have other case, many other case studies like this, where athletes will get a monster improvement in a race based on all those things, even though they're not necessarily fitter. And so the last analogy I want to use there is, um, you talk a lot about the, the engine analogy where, you know, you want to improve the size of the engine, which is the VO2 max capability. You know, and that's really important. And then once you've got that bigger engine, you want to improve how much of the engine you can use. So that's, you use the cylinder example. If you give someone a, you build them to an eight-cylinder car, it's no use if they can only use four cylinders of it. So they have to increase the size of the engine, but then increase how much of that capacity they can actually use. And the final factor, which I would say has happened for Tyler here, is you've got the engine, you've got the ability to use it all, but now who's actually driving the car? You know, who's actually executing it? Who's driving the course? And so that's that third part of all this execution stuff we're talking about. Yeah, and if you use that engine analogy one step further, if you look at the Formula One races, most teams have two cars, and they should be identical cars. Mm-hmm. Well, why is one why is one car beating the other car? Mm-hmm. And in some cases, one car is coming third, and the other car is coming fifteenth. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the driver, and yep. and this is the point that we we don't really uh, think that the listeners have really understood is, and that's how how to race the way we've been trying to explain and. And if you implement all of those things that we're pushing you to stay in those ranges and understand what power you can ride and have a good plan, uh, then then you will be a really much better driver of the of the actual event and and get an, an outcome that you want. And you know if if you use the the 
you know, the Formula One races, they're, they're, they're gaining a second on this corner. They're gaining a second on that corner, a left-hander, a right-hander, accelerating later, uh, earlier, braking later, passing smarter, you know, mm-hmm. s- starting faster. It's all these one per- little 1% efforts they're doing. 0.01, yeah. So yeah, and, <laughs> and they, just, they just keep adding up over lap after lap. You know, mm-hmm. if, I, if, if you beat me by 0.2 of a second every lap, you end up beating me by, you know, over, over an hour's race by quite a bit of time. Um, so the same thing here, and, and I've just got to remind everybody, we picked on this uh, particular case study because it wasn't someone who'd been training for a long time. This is just a, sh- this is a short period of time, literally five or six weeks um, from when we started coaching Tyler to his race. And, and sure, the time between June to October is longer than that, but we weren't coaching him from June, you know, July, August, September. And we started coaching him in December for a race in October. So, so the point I'm trying to make is he, he actually was at a good fitness level, but he just wasn't driving the car very well. Yeah, he, yeah. he, he learned how to drive the car. Yeah. Of course, we gave him a better program than he was on. Of course, we gave him lots of you know, execution guidelines and, and race-ready training sessions that, that improved that. But, but to his credit, he listened and was really on board with wanting to learn and soak up as much information about how do I do this better. And, and just by concentrating on the bike, it really improved his whole triathlon experience. Um, and he was able to run, you know, still he's got a long way to, to improve on his run. But what would we expect in five weeks of run training? Uh, I don't think we'd expect very much, um, yeah. but we got a lot out yeah. of it. Yeah. And notably, his swim is already very good. Like we said in the intro, he's, he's a very capable athlete and he's swimming between you know, 124 and 130 per 100. That's his ability. So that's really well above average. So in conclusion, uh, I mean, the, the main point is he had such short prep for the race, but he learned so much. So, I mean, I was, if you asked him, dad, what's the difference? What, what do you think he would answer with? Yeah, he's just his knowledge, uh, his knowledge and understanding of actually how to execute. And, you know, it's a broken record, isn't it, that we keep saying, um, and if people could only get this, and I know that there are lots of people who come up to us at races and wherever we are, I was just at the Tour Down Under and I had some people come up exactly the same, uh, saying, I love the podcast and, and my, my execution is, is exemplary now compared to the athlete I was before. I think that's the thing that, that he was, you know, he just understood how to race uh, in across all three disciplines and and how to manage himself on the day and the preparation before and the race strategy and plan we gave him that was absolutely uh, level at his current ability on that day and the fact that we made him do his own homework and and he came with his race plan ready to discuss it with me I think mm. I think they're the things that you know the one percenters that that you know you need to have in your arsenal in you know in your kit bag um, so that when you actually arrive on the start line on the beach you actually stand there going well I know exactly what my plan is today all I have to do is execute yeah yeah it's that IQ isn't it it's that racing IQ it's that IQ as a cyclist that you want to elevate and yeah I just love that point you made of you know at the start of the race ready sessions you really struggled to hold the power and stay in the ranges and you're saying to him yeah, Tyler, bloody stay in the ranges. And it's like, okay, fix it for next week. And, you know, you're really emphasizing that point. And then after a bit of practice, you can actually hold it. And you mentally and physically, you learn how to hold it. So he achieved the first goal of that short preparation for the race where he wanted to learn as much as he could to improve. And now the next goal is to build on that for you know, the next summer of racing and, and see how far I can take it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm excited. And uh, I, I'm almost having to hold him back. And 
um, you know, when the next block of training started just at the start of the year, you know, the responses I was getting was, I can't wait for these hard sessions. And, you know, it's, it's exciting, but I've, you know, it's a long season. It's, it's, uh, it's still in the middle of winter. Um, even though it's not that cold where he lives, but it is, it is winter and the races aren't available. So we've just got to go through this process and, and be patient and, and start to build that engine again. And, uh, it's exciting to have a guy like him who's just chomping at the bit to, to improve himself. It's, it's, it's really great to have guys like that on board. That's another case study episode. Uh, if you enjoyed it, make sure you tune in weekly. We have a normal weekly podcast episodes plus a case study every single week. And if you want to get coached like us and get some results like these, then go to our website, travelercoaching.com.au. We coach athletes from all around the world. We are based in Australia, but it's all online. So we have yeah, athletes from every single continent. That's a common question we get is, could you coach me in the UK? Could you coach me in the US? Yeah, absolutely. Um, go to our website, travelercoaching.com.au. And you can see our guarantee there that if you don't improve your FTP in the first eight weeks of training, then the coaching is on us. So thanks as always for listening and we'll see you next time.